0: I'm going to go ahead and try to get us going. I know people are still out getting coffee and snacks and all that. Um, but I want to try to keep us. Four o'clock we will be done, and that way we'll have you know, a little bit of time before uh, worship begins tonight. Um, teaching teenagers... Really creative title. Um, I know. Uh, I, I, I asked Michael what he told you all that uh, I was teaching on. I don't know what he explained to you guys. But I did kind of have to throw this somewhat together, piece this together just since um, uh, April. Isn't that her name? He yes. Just saw the sickness yeah, that they're dealing with in their family. So yeah, they've had a rough couple of weeks. We need to pray for them. Um, but you see the subtitle, Understanding the Individuals in Our Ministry. Uh, So let me me pray for us to get us started again, and then I'm going to read um, Psalm 139. You should make us... That might be a good idea. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay, yeah. (laughs) I was just about to, so... (laughs) Father, we thank You so much again for this time together, and we ask You for this last little bit, that You would help us to focus on Your Word, uh, that You give us wisdom from it, and that You would use this to, to glorify Your name and to equip us uh, to minister to the students in our lives in a way that's honoring to You. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well it's Katie's idea to yes. stand while we read God's word. Psalm one thirty nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Expecting um, it. So Psalm one thirty nine, I'm just gonna I'm gonna read verses one through six and then skip to thirteen uh, through sixteen. So uh, this is God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. It is high, I cannot attain it. Then skipping down to verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. It's God's Word. Y'all can have a seat. Um, these verses uh, blow our minds, right? I mean, even the, the psalmist, as he's writing this down, um, in verse 6, just such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Um, this psalm, it's amazing in so many ways, but but it's mind-blowing and just how... It highlights just the, the amazing creativity of God and how insignificant we are in some ways. Our minds cannot fathom His glory, but then at the same time, how unique and amazing we are because of the way in which He created us. That we're small, but then at the same time, it's, it's highlighting just our uniqueness and the beauty of being created as an image-bearer of God. Um, and so again, it highlights the, the mind-blowing su- 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 supremacy of God creating us, but then also the uniqueness of us. And, and that's what I want to do is to zoom in kind of from that on the, the individual. If some of you remember in the, the presuppositions, um, which I think Michael went over the other day, um, the individual being an aspect of the presuppositions. And as I alluded to in, in the first talk, uh, getting us to think about the individuals that we're ministering to. Um, the fancy word, as I said, exegeting the congregation like right, who is it that's listening to us as we teach? Who's you know, sitting out there in the audience? I mean, you know, if you think okay, if somebody just said, Hey, would you um come teach on Mark chapter five at you know at our church? And you said, Sure, yeah and you take some time, you pray, you read the scripture, you do all of this planning and then you show up to the church and they're like, Hey, um, yeah, you're teaching five year olds. Um That would drastically change your preparation, right? Like, speaking 101 is knowing your congregation, right? Knowing your audience, the people that you're going to be addressing. Um, That that we need to know that the individuals um, that are in our youth groups... Um, Did did any of y'all watch the show Lost? Were any of y'all into Lost? (coughs) Raise your hands. I know that dates me a little bit. Okay, so a few people. And I know some people hated it because of the ending. Um, I can just remember early on as I started to watch that show and get into that show, well, one of the things I remember most is thinking I knew a certain character, and then they take an episode to give you the backstory on that character. And how humbled I was thinking okay, well, this is the bad guy or whatever. And then you see, oh, wow, okay, this is his story, and this is why he became this way in a a sense. And it was just humbling to think how quickly I could judge a person or put a person in a box like that, right? Um, And I think we could all say that we do that in some ways in our ministry. Um, We think, okay, well, this student is like this. Um, This person is in this box. And to think... As we, we think about the individual and we think about who they are as image bearers, we think about this amazing way from Psalm 139 in which they were created in God's image. But as we start to, to dig into that and try to understand them more, and we've got to see like that shapes everything you know, in this diagram. You know, like Us doing the ministry and us trying to reach the heart of the student, I mean, understanding who the individual is is going to shape how you do one-to-ones, Small groups, large groups. Thinking application as you're, you're teaching. It's going to impact you know the avenues, the purpose, the principles. Everything has a huge impact on that. And so that, that's what I'm wanting us to do during this, this time is, is thinking about these students in our youth group and trying to get us to, to think of some of their story and to think more deeply um, about them. And, and so that's... That's a goal for sure, as we're we're thinking about communicating truth to our students and how we can do that uh, more accurately by understanding the individual. But even more than that, if I had to say the main goal of our our talk, you know, why are we trying to teach effectively to them? Why are we exegeting them? Um, Let me illustrate the the main goal from this. I heard Les Newsom give this example one time and it resonated with me. Um, some of you know Les Newsom; He's been in RUF campus ministry for a while and he's a senior pastor of a church now. Um, but he was giving a talk at YLT years ago and he said he came in from uh, work one day and his wife uh, was just in the living room and uh, she was like, how was your day? And he said, it was really good. It was great. And... Um, She's like, what was, you know, what, was, what was great about it? And he said, well, I just had really encouraging one-to-one with the student. It was just really encouraging, um, just affirmed, doing ministry and loving ministry. And he said she wasn't like questioning him. It was just kind of a, well, what makes a good one I want, one, one-to-one and a, a bad one-to-one? Like, what's the difference? And he started to answer that, and he started to realize that a good one-to-one was when the student liked him and affirmed him, and worshipped him. (laughs) And he was like, wow, that kind of devastated him as he thought about it. The ministry had kind of become about him. And, that resonates with me. I know that that's happened to me numerous times, and I mean that's an ongoing battle for sure for all of us. But as we think about, you know, exegeting our audience, as we think about okay, getting to know these students and, and who they are, the reason, the main goal is not to win them to us. Right? Which can so easily happen. We're not getting to know these individuals and getting in their lives just to make them laugh at our jokes. To be impressed with our Bible knowledge, to you know, have some kind of talent that they're just you know appreciative of. It's to ultimately point away from us to Jesus Christ. Um, and so, as we're doing this, just to keep that again, it, it almost goes without saying, but we need to say it and be reminded that this is the reason why we're spending the time doing this. And so, as we think about the individual, I want us to think kind of two broad categories. I want us to think, first, the individual kind of on a macro level, and then secondly, the individual on a micro level. All right. So just starting with the macro level, I want us to start with a very basic kind of strange question maybe. What is a teenager? All right, I want us to start asking that question, what is a teenager? And it may seem like a strange question to be asking, but again, if we're in youth ministry, if we're doing ministry to teenagers, okay, well then, what is that? What's, what's a teenager? Um, are they a child? Are they an adult? Is teenager this kind of vague time frame? I mean, we say, okay, well, they come into youth group. Some people would say, okay, well, that's when they become an adult. And some of you are thinking, have you seen my seventh graders? Um, You'd call them an adult. Okay, well, do we think? Okay, they're a child when they come into youth ministry, but then by the time they get out of youth ministry and they graduate, then they become adults. And some of you are thinking, have you seen the seniors in my youth group? (laughs) They're 18, yes, um, but they might not be adults. And so, how do we define teenager? What is a teenager? Andreas Kostenberger in this book, I think this is just kind of a must own book, God, Marriage, and Family. It's a helpful resource, has a lot in there. But he has some descriptions of a teenager, and I think he actually is quoting this from Paul David Tripp, if I'm not mistaken. And so just some bullet points. A teenager is frequently insecure, preoccupied with physical appearance. They prize freedom and independence. They tend to be defensive and self protective. They continually test the boundaries. They crave acceptance, they conform to peer expectations, and so I read this list, and I thought, well, maybe I'm a teenager." <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, we could say those are descriptive of, okay, a teenager typically, but then we could also say, "Well, I have some 50- year- olds that are kind of struggling with some of those, or it could be described as that I know in my own life. Several of those resonate this with me. Uh, resonate with me um, that can be helpful as we try to understand, okay, what is a teenager? We get some of these descriptions uh, in our mind. But to complicate this a little bit further, we also have some people saying, yeah, it's just an invented stage in life. Um, and so is it an invented stage in life? Um, the the word, and again, you know, youth ministry gets a lot of criticism. <laughs> and this is, this is one of those, right? Um, is it even a valid ministry? Um, it's again dealing with this kind of created um, stage of life. So the word "teenager" uh, was first used in 1941. Do y'all know? And what publication it appeared in first? Just guess some publications, magazines. Let's say, if you want to, if you know any magazines. All right, that's a good guess. Time. Time, good guess. Life. Life. Popular Science. How crazy is that? It's the first time, um, good trivia, right? Um, 1941, but it wasn't in dictionaries until 1950. So the word teenager hasn't been around that long, right? Um, and so you have some people saying, okay, it's this invented stage. It has not, you know, we know the word teenager is not in Scripture, uh, youth is in there. Um, you know, it's a, but it's just kind of child or adult typically. So you think about. Um, scripture. Uh, Mark Center in his book, uh, which deals with a history of Protestant youth ministry in America, he says, Some claim adolescence is a myth. They point to Jewish culture where the age of 12 marked the point of transition from boyhood to manhood, and no necessary transition of adolescence occurred. However, it is undeniable that at least in today's culture, adolescence is not merely a myth, but a distinct stage that needs to be dealt with during which young people transition from childhood to adulthood. Whether or not this may be deemed desirable. In essence, he's saying, who cares? (laughs) Who cares if it's invented or not? Here are these people that we've got to deal with. (laughs) Um, Here are these people that are in this strange time in life that we need to figure out how we can can deal with them. Um, But it's not enough to just ask the question, okay, what is a teenager uh, for us, I mean, we've got to ask the question, what does today's teenager look like? Um, you know, to put it this way, what does the teenager in 1941 look like to the teenager in 2020? Exactly the same, right? Um, no difference. Um, I'll read this from Time Magazine, but it was in a, a book. Um, this came from a February 2000 edition, um, Will Teenagers Disappear? Okay, I think that was the, the title. And it's by Walter Kearney. He suggests that the social phenomenon known as the teenager will cease to exist by the year 2020. So 20 years ago, he predicted that this, this year, teenagers are going to cease to exist. Teenagers, as classically defined, are already dying out or at least changing into something different. The buffer zone they once inhabited is being squeezed out of existence for two reasons. Children are growing up faster than ever before, and adults are growing up more slowly. What will the world look like, uh, without teenagers look like, like the adult world does now? Adolescents will feel the same pressures as their parents do, to succeed financially, to maintain their health, to stay on society's good side. What's more, adolescents will feel these pressures using their elders' traditional techniques, spending money, taking medication, contracting for professional professional advice. The carefree years will become the prudent years, and the prudent years will continue throughout life. That's how it used to be in the 19th century, and that's how it will, will be again in the 21st. The age of James Dean, the Ford Mustang, and making out will seem in retrospect like it was a summer vacation from human history. And so here's something for us to consider. Like, I think we can read that teenagers will disappear in 2020 we kind of laugh but then as we start to think like, have teenagers changed so much that the word teenager is no longer relevant um, you know are we dealing with a different group of people today than what 1941 was referencing That the definition you know back then 1941 to 2020 you know as we can read that again and laugh, the question we need to ask is, are we already living in a time where teenagers don't exist anymore? That they're growing up so quickly, and again, adults are, are slowing down in the way that they're maturing, uh, supposedly. So are we dealing with a different group of people? Um, maybe quick pause. What do you all think on that? Everybody's like, I'm just too tired for this, John, right now. Yeah. I feel like they're facing adult problems, but they're still addressing that as mm-hmm. Maybe adults look more like teenagers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Good word. I would yeah. love to know like, just, like, what this looks like in different um, you know, socioeconomic cultures, things like that. Just, like, at least where I am, um, we have a mix of some. Like college students who came from families who decided to do are far more mature than the average 50 year old. Hmm. And so, just like, a, like kind of that teenager, <laughs> like, so when does it end? So, do we even call it teenagers anymore? Is this just a you new know, adulthood? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's, it's interesting how um, that's just changed and it's less like an age thing or a period more um, other factors are playing into it. That's good. Yeah. Very good. What else? Other thoughts? Yes, Leah. Have you got to know that the kids are going to have cops or and adults are very important, so what is that, teenagers or adolescents? Is it just expanding? hmm That sounds to me. We're all just teenagers. Yeah. what mm-hmm. 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 yeah. Well, it's definitely, I mean, adolescence has, you know, expanded. I think some people say, like, 29 maybe, but then now we've got the invented... Age of emerging adulthood. So, you know, it's like you come out of this stage of adolescence, but you're not really an adult yet. So, you've got another category, emerging adulthood, and then you become an adult. So, it's like, okay, there's another category we're talking about now. I wonder if both what she said as well as the statement are true at the same time based on different socioeconomic circles Mm -hmm. right now and our weird situation in America. And I think one of the reasons why. Like, uh, it's often pointed out, like, that 20 somethings are more likely to live with their parents now. Uh, but it said, I think that, uh, that demographics say in the African American community, is actually, that's true because of the fact that 20 somethings are more likely to have, uh, apartment where they allow their parents to stay with them. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's not the, you know, traditional live in my mom's basement type deal. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if, uh, it's, you know, in some circles it actually is disappearing, in some circles it's, doubling down and into the white collar mm. circle. Mm. These are good, yeah. Really good thoughts. And let's um let's uh oh you about to say something? Um so look, teenagers today. Um I think as we start to you know, try to define teenagers, start trying to understand the individual um, a little bit more, again, from kind of a, a macro sense. I think two broad categories can be helpful and some of them you guys are highlighting. Um, I think one, we've got to be reminded, biblically speaking, <laughs> um, that we can get very bogged down in complexities of, okay, like I just said, emerging adulthood, um, adolescence, you know, going to, I mean, some debate, okay, where's the cutoff there? Okay, where does adolescence stop? And so that can get very confusing. And so for us to to look to the Scriptures and say, okay, biblically speaking, the Scriptures have plenty to say that can can help us. I mean, there's plenty where it does address children, where it does address adults. We know there's going to be some some gray area, but there's wisdom we can glean from the Scriptures and we need to be reminded, this is the living Word of God. (laughs) That we knew that when God wrote it, it was going to exist in 2020, right? So we don't need to downplay the significance of Scripture here, but then we also, culturally, and that's what you were highlighting, we've got to see we are embodied beings who exist in a specific time and space. and we, we can look to the culture and say, okay, what categories are helpful for us to understand? What, what trends, again, just pointing to Walt Mueller as he's just been an you know, expert on youth culture, researching this. Uh, thinking of, okay, what can, what, what can, how can scripture, I mean, how can culture help us as we um, reach out and try to understand these um, students more? Um, because, you know, we cannot ignore the culture or be ignorant of the culture. And so kind of those are those are two broad categories, but I want us to zoom in a little bit more on the, the individual on a micro level. Um, and I want us to start thinking about the identity of a student. And I'm hoping I can wrap this up so then we can discuss this a little bit more before we run out of time. Um, so, look, thinking back to Psalm 139, okay, that the crown of God's creation, um, each individual having amazing value significance um, by being created after god 's image, um, so it 's important for us to, to know um, that we are these complex beings as beings as it 's used the language of being woven together in the womb, but not only are we these complex beings we 're also these complex beings that that live in a story, and that story impacts us, but then that story is broken as well as us. and so we've got sin permeating all of that, and so getting us again to, to think a little bit uh, more about a student's identity. I'm going to rush through this, like I said, so then we can have some more Q and A. Um, thinking developmentally, uh, as we begin to understand these individuals, um, you know, their minds aren't fully formed until the age of twenty five. <laughs> um, their bodies. Think of the insane changes that they're going through, from from that twelve to eighteen range that we're dealing with. Um, and so maybe just kind of picturing a Wednesday night. If some of you, I know some of you might not do Wednesday nights, but as maybe get a certain student's face in your mind as they walk in the doors to your youth building, and we're thinking, okay, their brain's still forming, their have so many questions. They've just had a full day of school. Who knows what they've heard, what they've seen. Let's throw a smartphone in there and what all they've seen there. And all sorts of stuff is going on in their body and the vast majority of them have not had parents tell them about that stuff. Right? They might have gotten it from a class. Maybe. Maybe some parents have. Without a doubt, there are parents that are... But let's just kind of assume that. And now they're walking in to the church and... You're going to tell them to sit down and start teaching them. I'm um, just thinking about that alone, just developmentally what they're going through. Um, and then we think relationally. Um, you know, we're created to be relational beings. We know we're created in the image of this triune God—Father, Son, Holy Spirit—and so relationships are hardwired into our DNA. So we're these relational creatures that that need uh, to interact with others. I know. Uh, Paul David Tripp and Tim Lane, their book Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. It's an excellent book. Um, they talk about, you know, the spectrum of relationships that uh, we can tend towards isolation or immersion on that spectrum um, that some of us tend towards, you know, being more introverted, some more extroverted. So just thinking about those students relationally, there are some students who are terrified to walk into a full room of people with all kinds of loud noises, you know, and they're just, you know, Borderline nervous breakdown as they, like, showing up was actually a major act in courage. (laughs) Um, Being sensitive to that, like where they are on that scale. Um, But then, you know, thinking about, okay, the friends that they're dealing with, the enemies that they have at school or in the youth group, their teachers, their coaches, some of them dating, thinking about family relationships, what's going on in the home. Um, here's a quote I think I've got it up here from Chap Clark's book, Hurt. Um, he was talking about somebody being, you know, students are resilient, teenagers are resilient. And um, him, he's responding to that. He says, but divorce or any other expression of abandonment is episodic only in that most young people generally learn how to find a way through the pain, even though the hurt runs deep. While it is fairly clear that adolescents are resilient, the traumatic events are permanent reminders of abandonment. They can cause significant psychological suffering many years down the road. The consequences of a ripped-apart family system remain a constant source of brokenness throughout one's life. Um, We cannot downplay the relational dynamics of these individuals that we're seeking to minister to. Um, Again, just taking the home life, when they show up on a Wednesday night, like, what has been going on? What have they been dealing with, um, and just many of them, you know, having ripped apart families. And yeah, you know, well, what he's saying so much truth there. This is not just something they get over, and that they're just resilient and they kind of bounce back from. Um, and how that's impacting the way that they're listening to you on a Wednesday night, uh, the way that they're interacting with you, you know, one to one, and. I was reminded of this, I was talking to John Trapp recently. He's RUF campus minister um, at University of Texas. He's actually on the board of RYM, and um, he was on the local youth worker last week with a former parent in his youth ministry, and I was getting them to kind of talk about their, their dynamics. But one thing he brought up, he said one thing that's different between dealing with college students and students in youth ministry was missing out on the, the home dynamics that he said when he was in youth ministry, he knew about their family more. But when he got off to the college campus, he doesn't know where they're coming from necessarily. It's not as easy to get that information. And so just thinking of that alone is significant for us in youth ministry to be able to have a window into some of these homes and to know some of this, again, to know how to better minister to these students. But then we also factor in culturally. We've already spoken about the culture a little bit and again, just kind of this invented age, but... We cannot overstate the way in which the culture shapes these individuals, right? I think someone defined culture this way. I'm probably going to mess it up, but culture is the world that we are born into and the world that is born in us. Um, it's one, I can't remember who said it, but, um, A book that I think is a great book for all of you to read is The Coddling of the American Mind. How many of you have heard this or read of this? Um, It's a great book. And they assert these three myths that are kind of permeating our culture and make a pretty compelling case for it that there's the untruth of fragility, um, which they kind of explain what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. So we've got a generation of weaker children in many ways um, because we're trying to with helicopter parenting, bulldozer parenting all the different kinds of parenting um, we're protecting children to such a degree that they're actually becoming weaker and not stronger Um, so the untruth of fragility uh, the untruth of emotional reasoning, reasoning always trust your feelings and third, the untruth of us versus them. Life is a battle between good people and evil people. And then they talk about just the, the growing tensions just in so much of our culture and that, they've, that there's this us versus them mentality. That's uh, And one thing that they highlight is just microaggressions and how... Um, there's good that we could point to saying, you know, it's created sensitivity in the types of words that we use. But then to the negative, it's also, ha- you know, created a culture that's like, listening to every word and ready to just pounce on you if you say the wrong word. Or if you say the right word, but they interpret it another way, then there's this aggression. And so it's just trying to kind of have this ability to just not pounce on this um, uh, you know, someone who might not think as we think. Um, And so they highlight these kind of untruths that are being permeated in our culture. And again, I don't think either one of these authors is a believer. Uh, This is not a Christian book, um, but it's a helpful book, and so some of the, the again, the, the culture that they're, dealing up, uh, that they're growing up in, they're dealing with some of these um, myths, and again, not to spend too much time on culture, but we do need to think about kind of the, again, macro and micro of culture, that there's a sense, you know, macro, we often think of just the world they're growing up in, but we also need to think like the school that your students are growing up in, um, homeschool, public school, private school, like they have a culture um, that's associated with you know their school. Um, they have a culture in, I mean, your church has a culture to it. Their home has a culture. And an interesting aspect about this too is at the same time, with social media, smartphones, um, they're being exposed to other cultures which are kind of making some cultures less unique and distinct than what they once were because again schools churches homes kind of had a similar culture depending on which context you're living in but now the, the entire world is coming into their house right and into their church and into their schools and so there's this kind of sense in which you know the culture is being um, you know shrunk in a sense um, and so, did you have your hand up? Yeah, I just I would be curious to hear you talk a little bit more about that, like that microculture that uh, exists digitally, because you know that's something we're trying to get a pulse on. Is like historically, there's microcultures are visible. You can see it kid's family, church, congregation, uh, you know, community, whatever. But now they can each. You know, we don't even have a big youth group. But each kid can be part of their own online microculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't know what it is. You have no idea what it's like. So how do you, I don't know. I don't know if do you have any thoughts that might be there. That's an excellent question. Does anyone want to speak into that? Anyone have any thoughts on that? Does anyone spend any time reading on that, thinking on that? I have one thought. Is just, yeah. how, uh, just to piggyback on how difficult it is to navigate is as Walt was talking about um, uh, yesterday with uh, marketing and uh, personal advertisements yeah. like, like their their microculture is becoming so micro that it is being it is being developed to them based on their likes and their interests that they have a, a digital culture that is a reflection of their heart that only they can see. It's like I mean it's kinda like I don't know if anybody's seen the show Black Mirror on Netflix. I'm like, their phones of Black Mirror into an enculturation that they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, yeah, Ang. That's good. There's a great book on um, something to think about, Plugged In by Daniel Strange. Mm-hmm. Um, He's yeah. a uh, pastor over... Like in the U.K. or something like that, but uh, if you don't trust me, Tim Keller did the <laughs> break the difference. <word>. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it tackles a lot of this stuff if you want mm. more, more than, yeah, but then, you know. Yeah, that's good. I had started that, I hadn't finished it, and I that is forgot. That's a good book. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing, everything you guys are saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's important for us to be aware like that's that's a factor. That's um you know, as we're seeking to understand these individuals in our youth group, we've got to see again just that they are being exposed to more of the world than than any previous generation in very unique ways. Like you said, I mean they can have all of these various cultures online, um, with just such specific um likes, uh you know what? What if it's a you know online community of a certain movie, a book, um, a trend, something? You can find that group online, and so you know you're forfeiting earthly relationships in many ways for these online relationships. Um, so I mean, that I mean that might be a factor. But um, any other thoughts on that before we move on? I mean, it's an excellent question. Something more I think just want to highlight and be aware of. The only thought I have in my own question is just the need for a conversation. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's asking kids, hey, what are you mm mm-hmm. so Yeah. I'm to follow Yeah. yeah. I, I do our social media stuff. <laughs> So it's interesting. Like, we have one student who shares in her Instagram stories these quotes from some feminist page. Mm. And then we have another guy who like shares all these dark posts about how nobody knows the real him, And if they did, they wouldn't like it. Mm. And then he also shares... I know you feeder to share something from the page about like lesbian fashion. And I was like, What? <laughs> like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it is handy. you know, they're they're picking what they let us see, but mm-hmm. there's a reason for that too. Mm-hmm. So that means that they're really like they're willing to this is like something that they're really like, Yeah, this is totally cool. This I I like this and then they're sharing it. So mm-hmm. I think it's important when they let us to yeah, absolutely. That's good. Brian? <laughs> yeah, so uh, last fall I took my high schoolers to 12 ways, which I was mm-hmm. And the way that I really got them to open up, we were talk about the <laughs> we okay. conversation with, well, what behaviors do you see your peers you know, engaging in? What are they up to? And then just let the kids talk and listen well and recognizing that. They're actually revealing the culture that they're sitting in themselves. They're just uncomfortable talking about it within that personal paradigm. Hmm. It's good. I think it's something, too, that um, we, we should probably do a better job of keeping an eye on what, like, ourselves and what our leaders are doing, too. Because if the kids have their own thing, like, you know, you have your, you have your own, too, and... If you or leaders are friends with other people, and someone's really into fashion, and so you know, it just kind of depends on what's popping up. But it's popping up in different spaces as well. Like you said, so like the feminist clothes, the lesbian fashion, like, and so then it, it kind of gives them this, like, well, they're doing it too, so why do I have to worry about what I'm showing or hiding or anything like that? Mm-hmm. You end up putting a lot more on the pedestal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and the importance of just yeah modeling that to our Um, students—they're watching. Um, Yeah, that's a good good point. Um, So, like, just in the time that's remaining, uh, considering the biblical identity of a student, all right. um, As we again continue to answer, what is a teenager, and we'll all be drawing this to a close soon. uh, Something that you hear frequently—I'm sure Michael said it with uh, some of the POM stuff—that you know theology. Drives philosophy, which drives methodology, that our theology is always driving. Um, what it is we're thinking as we're defining a student. I know that there are so many complexities when we're talking about identity formation in students, um, but we do need to see that God's Word is an amazing gift here. Um, again, so many complexities that with 10 minutes left, we don't have a ton of time to get into, but I mean, one first, as we think about an image bear, um, as we read Psalm 139, um, I think trying not only for us uh, to be reflecting on this but to, to think of how some of this can just become white noise as we hear it and as we teach it to our students. And like, I like—I heard a pastor share recently how there was this homeless man who was walking out in front of his church and he invited him in for a cup of coffee uh, and they you know, were just chatting and the man began to share his story and Um, uh, he he was sharing just his rough upbringing and all kinds of aspects of his story that were just tragic. And the pastor just reached out and put his hand on his hand and he said, did you know you're an image bearer of God and that you have infinite value because of that? And he said the man just began to weep. And he said no one had ever told him that. Um, that he did not grow up in a home to where there was any sort of love or anyone had told him he had value. And so just that where literally is like the absolute significance of being an image bearer. And having your students understand, I mean, they have value because of that, um, but they are a treasure because of that. And who knows, maybe they don't hear that in the homes that they're growing up in. Um, maybe as they're showing up on a Wednesday night, they need to hear that truth. And you might think, ah, oh, they know their image bearers, they've heard it a thousand times, and it's just kind of old news or whatever. To see the significance of that, um, and to communicate that, speaking into their identity. Um, you know, as we think of being a child of God, um, something I've thought about before, and maybe getting you to think about, like, think of the student that annoys you the most. <laughs> And you're like, wait, which one? Um <laughs> the student that, that annoys you the most and kinda of getting their face, you know, in your mind. Um pray against frustration as you do that. Um and thinking like um, that gives you like a, a small taste of God loving you. Like you were the annoying person who was not looking for God and he came and pursued you. And there was nothing in you that was likable to anything. He just because of His love, came after you. Um, and, and so just as, as you have those annoying students in your life, pursuing them and thinking of how that illustrates God's deep love for us and God's pursuit of us. Um, to think, I mean, just having some perspective. These students, these individuals in our youth ministries are eternal souls that will never die. Um, and giving us that, that perspective that in God's infinite wisdom and sovereignty, He allowed, as I've heard a friend of mine say, your biographies to intertwine. That He's allowed the two of you to come across each other's path for some reason. And just to see some of that perspective of just, uh, eternity. As we think of, individuals and their identities. Um, saint, sinner, and suffer That's something Mike Emlett has said that has been very helpful to me. And Mike Emlet is who's speaking tomorrow morning if um, you're not aware. And this came from his book, I think the first time I read it, Cross Talk, which is out there. It's very helpful. Um, but just kind of breaking this down a little bit. Um, so you think of saint. It's God's grace that's manifested in your students' lives as well as your life. Um, that they have gifts. God has promised to give them gifts. Have they heard that from from you? Have they heard it in the, the houses that they're growing up in? To tell them. I mean, if they don't feel like they have value. They don't feel like they have worth. Telling them the truth, God says otherwise. God says you're gifted. That He's given you gifts. That you're a treasure. That you're loved. We also know that they are sinners. At times they can be harsh. At times they can act foolish. And not being... Surprised by that because they're still developmentally, um, you know, they're still developing as we talked about earlier. They can be rebellious at times, but then suffer. Um, they're anxious and stressed, and Mike Emlet's going to talk about that more tomorrow. They're confused, they're exhausted. And you know, so, just kind of practical from, from some of this, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm big on small group studies with, with youth groups um, that students, again, developmentally. Um, They are being lectured at all the time. Um, They're they're sitting in in large group preaching, and we need to see as we think about philosophy of ministry and we think of large group, corporate worship is large group, um, that we need to not be a silo ministry and kind of think otherwise, that they're part of the congregation. As we think about them developmentally and everything going on in life, they need a place to ask questions. They're wrestling with so many doubts. They're being told so many different things. They might be showing up on Wednesday night and they just watched you know, a YouTube video that is completely denying the canonicity of Scripture. You know? um, they need a place to say, hey, I watched this video, and... And so in those small group settings, it's safer for them to raise a hand, to ask a question, to voice a doubt. And so again, as we we think about the individual, hopefully some of these categories can be helpful. Um, I'll end with this quote from Tripp, and that will give us five minutes to, to maybe talk a little bit. He says, Parents frequently believe they have a right to harmony and peace. They crave respect and demand and appreciation. They can miss that God is calling them into this challenge as an opportunity and can miss that they can love and minister to their children because of an idolatry of peace, respect, etc. Applying this to us, okay, speaking to parents. Um, Some of the annoyance of our students are because they're sinners (laughs) and they're rebellious. Some of it is because we're sinners, right? And we have idols that we have built, and they're often bumping up against those idols, right? Um, You need to respect my authority, and of course we can say respecting authority is is a good thing, a biblical thing. We're just kind of thinking um, about our own hearts as we're dealing with these individuals, um, ways in which maybe it's our own idolatry that's getting in the way and being humble, asking God to to humble us, to reveal those idols to us and, and to help us, by His grace, see these students as these unique individuals that all have a story, that all have a developmental process going on, a culture that they're growing up in, all sorts of things going on as they walk into the doors of our, of our youth rooms and, and how understanding that more by God's grace can help us, again, point them away from us and to Jesus Christ. Um, so hopefully some of that is helpful, helpful, um, as we seek to, you know, minister to our students, uh, four minutes left. Um, we've got time for some questions and then we'll, we'll break. I know it's a lot. It's the last day. We're all tired. Um, any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns? Um, there's plenty more to add to this, obviously. Everyone also knows like it's almost a break and I don't want to be the person to stop us from giving a break. <laughs> all right. Yes? I think you did a great job. All hey, right, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. Thank you.